Good morning, church. Welcome to worship. Welcome everyone who's joining us online today and at later times. We're glad to be connected with you and appreciate your engagement with us. As we gather today, let's remember this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm Rockford Johnson, and it's just my joy to serve as senior pastor along with uh, Pastor Wendy and Pastor Trey and this great staff that we have, and all of you who are part of this mission that we're on to change lives that change the world. Here in the house, uh, uh, the ushers are passing the connection pads, and um, if you're here for the first time with us today, we have welcome connect cards in the pew rack in front of you. We would invite you to complete one if you would like to and leave it with me or with one of us um, or one of the greeters at the end of the service. We have a gift bag for you. And if you're online and for, with us for the first time, thank you for finding us, connecting with us, and we hope that you'll reach out to us through our website, mcfarlandumc.org. Let us know how we can pray for you with the cards and the pew racks also, or on the front page of that website, you can click the prayer request button and let us know what to celebrate with you and, and what your concerns are, and then we uh, put that list together and we make that a matter of prayer for our staff here at the church. Coming up on September 11, the Norman Philharmonic is coming back um, to McFarland in the afternoon for a concert um, called, uh, Rem it's a remembrance concert honoring the 21st anniversary of 9-11. And of course, Dr. Zelensky leads uh, the Philharmonic and uh, Stephen Wurst uh, will be a part of this as well. And so uh, that's good collaboration. And you may want to introduce someone for the first time to this building. If you're online and you've never been here and you want to experience some great music, uh, you could come and experience this and uh, maybe consider uh, coming to worship sometime. Today, the, um, the children's department is having the uh, play date at the play pit on East Main, uh, 4 to 6 p.m. So bring your children, bring your grandchildren, families come. Be a part of that uh, as we move back towards uh, the fall and getting back into school. Also, I want you to know that Children's Church, sometimes called Elements, a special time for children during the worship service, is coming back. We don't have a date yet, but we're working to bring that back. And then today we are in this uh, series of sermons and worship called Love Is. This is the second of those. Today, uh, love is not insistent on its own way, or it sacrifices that kind of insistence. We also have this, a class going on that I'm teaching, Love Examines, um, on, during Sunday school. We won't meet next week on Labor Day weekend, uh, but I teach it on Sundays and then teach it again on Mondays at noon. Today, we could say Love Talks. Uh, there's a forum at noon right after this service down in Finn Hall. It's an open forum related to the class I'm teaching and related to questions about United Methodist Church and McFarland. And so um, if you want to be a part of that conversation where love talks together, uh, come down to Finn Hall after this service. The pastors will be there and we will engage together. 
Love Feeds, uh, if you haven't been a part of providing snacks for schools yet, we invite you to do that. We've delivered a bunch of those, uh, this guy has, <laughs> and his team, Scott Meyer, our Director of Missions. And so uh, thank you for doing that and thank you for um, being a part of all that we do. You know, love also evangelizes. We can give witness, can't we? And love worships. We've come to worship today. We just stand to sing our first hymn, number 127, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. You will find the affirmation of faith printed in your bulletin and on the screen. Let us join together in professing the story of God's love as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Be seated.
It is good to be in worship together this morning, and now we have the opportunity to join together in prayer. So I ask that you will join now in this time of prayer. Most gracious and giving and loving God, we once again come to you and ask you to hear our prayers, to hear the cries that are deep within our souls, to hear the cries of the needy and the hurting and those who feel helpless. We ask, O oh God, that you will challenge us to continue to see how it is and to think about how it is that we can respond to your call to help those in need, to help those who are hurting, to be the church in a loving and kind and accepting way, to reach out to the ends of the earth, to reach out into this community, to be the love expressed, to be an example like Jesus was an example to us. We ask, O oh God, that when we fall short, that you will forgive us. When we become judgmental and hateful with our words or our actions, whether it is intended or unintended, we ask, O oh God, that you will forgive us. Forgive us so that then we can be joyfully obedient to not only you and your call, but to your church. To be the church. To be the church into the community and into the world. To be an expression of your everlasting love for us. I ask, O oh God, today that you will hear our prayers, that you will make your presence known to us, and that you will give us guidance and direction. God, as we have spent time these past weeks talking about love and what it means to be an expression of love to those around us, I pray that we can hear the challenges that are being laid before us. And more than just hearing them, I pray, O oh God, that we can do them. That we can think about what it means to, to do the work of love. To do the work that you have called us to do. God, it is a joy and it is a privilege and it is an honor to be in worship and in this space today. Whether we gather in person and are present in this room or whether we are online, we know, God, that the power of your Holy Spirit brings us together. And I pray, God, that as we continue to join together as the church, as we continue to be the church, that you will continue to give us your guidance. And so now we have the opportunity to join together in the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It is so good to be adding the children's message back into our Sunday morning worship. And so as we share a video with you, I would invite all of the children to come and join me right down front. to me and it's like peace 
a joy. When you care about someone or when you really like them. Um, when I think of love, I usually think of my dog, Pancake. It means like to care for somebody and to like give them hope and stuff like that. Love, it, it kind of feels really good to me. I really like it. It really fills my body up with lots of care. Like love seems like they care about you. A lot of people like love all their family members. Love to me would probably be hanging out with my family a lot and doing stuff. Love means to me, I just love it because God gave it to us so we could understand it and everyone should have it because it's just wonderful. Well, I'm glad you guys are here this morning. Thanks for hanging out with me for a few minutes. You know, we've been talking about love in church. And, you know, there's all kinds of love, right? Like, I love certain kinds of food. I love chocolate, right? And there's certain things I like to do. Like, I love to watch college football, and I'm really excited that that's starting again. So there's all kinds of love. And the kind of love that we've been talking about is loving God and loving others. And how it is that God teaches us about loving God and loving our friends. And, you know, I was, this video, one of the things that stuck out to me was the word care. And one of the ways that we share with people that we love them is by caring for them. And, and sometimes when we talk about caring about people, they might be our friends. They might even be people we don't necessarily like. Sometimes we have to love people that we don't like, right? Um, they might be people who look like us and think like us, or there might be people that are really different. But here's the thing about love. When we really love other people, that's the way that we are sharing that we love God. So God tells us that when we love others, it's like we're loving him. So I have a little challenge for us this week, okay? The challenge this week is that we are going to work on loving others. We're going to work on being kind and caring. Can you do that? Can you think about different ways this week that you can be kind and caring to people? I've got some ideas in my mind. I'm going to try not to be mean this week. Did you know that sometimes I can be mean? Don't tell anybody. It's a secret. You know, but I'm going to work this week on not doing that. I'm going to work on going out of my way to be nice to people and to care for them. Can you guys do that too? Yeah? And I bet if the five of us here and those folks back there, I bet if we all promised to work on that this week, I bet the world would be a whole better place, don't you think? I think it would be too. All right, let's pray. Hey, God, thank you very much. Thanks for these four and, and all of us this morning who are together and get to think about what it means to love each other and to love you by loving um, other people. And I pray, God, that you will not only give us the opportunities, but then also the strength to be loving and caring. Um, God, help us to make a difference in this world by loving others. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Scott. Let's stand and sing together 402, Lord, I want to be a Christian, 402. Please stand.
Jesus has shown us what it means to love, and God calls us to follow his example, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, to not insist on our own way. And so we ask God to continue to write his law of love on our hearts and to give us this tenacious faith that actively participates in changing lives that change the world. And so as we give of our tithes and our offerings today, may God bless them and bless us as we share the love of Jesus Christ here in Norman and around the world. You may be seated.
You may be seated. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 10 and 19 through 22. Hear now these words. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not follow his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all of the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations. But the thing that displeased Samuel when they said this, Give us a king to govern us, Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have not done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice only. You shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but we are determined to have a king over us so that we may be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all of the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and set a king over them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. We invite your spirit to help us to understand, to speak into our thinking and our feeling together around these words, around this word, so that we might gain understanding, that we might be challenged, perhaps comforted, that we might be deepened in our discipleship. And so we offer ourselves to you in these moments in the name and the way of Jesus. Amen. Choir, thank you. That was amazing. Um, surrender to Jesus. Do you know anyone that will never surrender their own way? Always insists on their own way. I remember sitting in a small trailer home in Tulsa sometime shortly before 2001 with three adult children gathered to plan their mother's funeral. They were not part of the church that I was serving, but I had helped them when their sister died tragically and suddenly, and they reached out again at this moment. 
And so as we sat there, they talked about fond memories and paid tribute to their mother's goodness, talking about her life. And eventually the conversation turned to reveal that their mother was always insistent on her own way. Following up what a brother said, one of the daughters piped up, well, that's the truth. It was her way or the highway. In writing to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says simply and pointedly, love does not insist on its own way. So this is the second sermon in this series, Love Is. Last week we looked at love is holy and kind. Today we look at this. We will explore why it is both kind and holy to refrain from insisting on our own way, the danger or the pitfall of it, how it can be sinful, and some thoughts about avoiding or overcoming that my way or the highway attitude and behavior. Jesus, of course, lives, teaches, behaves, and dies as someone who exemplifies the love that lives God's way for others, um, does not insist on his own way. That is, while Jesus insists on the priority of following God's grace and truth, he does not insist on getting his own way. And most remarkably, in the garden, when Jesus prays shortly before crucifixion, when the end is near and the final curtain is about to fall, he prays, not my will, but yours be done. So the one the disciples call Lord refuses to insist that his desire come first. And in the Gospels, in different settings, in three of the Gospels, Jesus quashes arguments and debate among disciples who are arguing who will be the greatest and who should get to be the sub-lords and the vice-bosses in the kingdom that's coming. He tells them, look, you know that among the nations around us, those who recognize their rulers, those rulers lord it over them. And their elite rulers are tyrants. They use power and force to always get their way. And then he says to the disciples, not so among you. Your mantra cannot be my way or the highway. Your song must soar with the love that does not insist on its own way. Well, people like you and me are naturally drawn to have authority and power, some of us to more of a degree than others, to have authority over things and entities and even persons. We're drawn to be part of powerful causes and to align ourselves with powerful even conquering leaders and authorities. And even in those efforts, we may be insisting that we get our own way. So let's go back about 30 centuries, the 11th century BC, 
to this story we heard about the prophet Samuel and the people's insistence on getting a king rather than the tribal judges and warrior lords that they had. According to the book of Judges, the loosely confederated tribes of Israel struggle and often fail to be faithful to God as their sole lord or king. They struggle to hold on to land and ward off enemies in that land of ancient Palestine. They have no centralized leadership or governance, but as needed, they are rallied together again and again by some tribal lord who rises up with sufficient charisma and strategic wit to pull them together for concerted action. They call them judges, not like our courtroom judges, uh, just a word that means, in this case, rulers who lead groups based on their innate strengths and wisdom and sometimes cunning guerrilla warfare. To get a feel for the setting, we could think of the, um, the tribal lords in Afghanistan, that kind of um, setting. It's been that way in Afghanistan to some degree or another for centuries. The idea was that it was God who was their king, and they didn't need a king. The, the judges are supposed to help them, and the prophets are supposed to help them follow God's way for them. But the people, the people keep cycling back into rejecting God and worshiping idols. This period of time has been referred to sometimes as the Dark Ages of Israel's story. So, as we heard, after Samuel, this aging prophet, appoints his sons to be the judges, and they turn out to be self-serving, they are easily and, and eagerly bribed, twisting things for their own gain, and more interested in what they could get out of their position than how they could help the people. The people have had enough. They want centralized leadership. They have they've noticed the kings of other nations, and this is what they want. They want someone with authority to organize, to organize an army, to protect them. And so as the story unfolds, they tell the prophet Samuel, and he tells this to God in prayer, and he, he hears God telling him to grant their wish. Give them what they demand. And even though they are rejecting Samuel's sons and Samuel, his appointment of his sons, as if it's a referendum on his leadership, what Samuel discerns that God is saying is they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me as their king. He tells Samuel to proceed to give them what they want, but warn them that a king will likely lord it over them. So Samuel does as, as he's told. He, he delivers the news and he warns the people that kings will insist on their own way. They will take your sons for war and your daughters for service in the palaces, bakers and cooks, etc., and your best fields and slices of your prophets 
to pay off the elites and they will take your slaves and the best of your livestock to work for the king and you, Samuel says, you, he says to the people, will be slaves in the way the king lords it over you. And if that's not enough warning, Samuel tells them, when you finally realize and complain because you got what you insisted on getting, God will not respond. You can just go to your king, your overlord that you wanted as the, you can just suffer that as the consequence of insisting on your way over God's way. Well, Samuel's warning leaves them with a question, of course. Do you want to reconsider? And they respond with a resounding, no! We are determined to have a king for, over us for our protection. They insist, and Samuel goes ahead. He gets the go-ahead from God. Not long after, Saul is anointed the first king of the people. One amazing insight in this unfolding story is that even God does not insist on God's own way. God intended that they not have a king, but that they live and serve under God's spiritual guidance with the aid of prophets and judges or seers, etc. Spiritual leaders among them. And in fact, in this narrative, then God helps them with what he said they should not have. God picks out Saul to be the king and helps Samuel find him and install him, saying, God saying, I have seen the suffering of my people and I have heard their outcry. This is amazing. God is still listening to the cry of the people. It has come to me, and God has taken it in, and now is in some ways responding. The Lord, the Lord God who said through Samuel, you will cry out in complaint about your king, but the Lord will not answer you, quickly then is busy fulfilling what the people have chosen. And then, not long after, we hear God say to Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king. He says that because like the people who keep falling away, Saul falls away. He's turned his back from following me, God says. So it is that God, living and active interactively with the people, begins then to work toward David replacing Saul as king. God keeps working in the give and take of human experience, keeps engaging with insistent my way or the highway people to bring about God's ultimate purpose. God sets an example of divine love that does not insist on its own way but collaborates with those in shared relationship to bring about God's ultimate purpose through means that were not originally intended. 
And I want to say, I want to ask, how much more should we avoid the hubris and the harm of insisting on our own way to the point that we do not listen to those in our circles of relationships and in the, in the environs of our work and living? Are we then not obligated by the claim of God's love in Jesus Christ, that claim on our lives to avoid being controlling people who refuse to listen, refuse to learn, refuse to consider other avenues and routes to what the world needs, to what people need, rather than simply and singly mapping out everything for everyone else through our own way. Confident and self-confident behavior is a good thing and it's one thing and controlling behavior is another thing and it's usually an insecure expression of feigned confidence. When controlling behavior becomes extreme of course it is abusive even dangerous and calls for intervention that's obligated by the love of God for those in danger. Persons exhibiting controlling behavior, whether mild or severe, to differing degrees, of course, insist on, one of the things they do, they insist on having things their way. They make plans for everyone else and everyone's activities. They refuse to accept blame. They need to be the center of attention. They can be unpredictable. And all of this, driven essentially, by fear, anxiety, and security. On the more extreme cases, behavior becomes badly harmful and unacceptable, punishing people with words and voice and even physically lying and manipulating, insisting to be in charge of all the finances of the household when it comes to spouses, etc. Even controlling movement and access And of course we hear too many tragic stories of domestic abuse and violence by that kind of extreme controlling behavior. And if and when we know of such, we are obligated by Christian love to provide, to help provide intervention. You see, whenever controlling behavior crosses the line and creates harm, then it is sin. It is not love, for love does no harm, does no wrong, Paul tells us. But there is good news. Good news both, both for those who tend to control and those who experience being controlled, and even for those who are super controlling. There is good news for any of us who feel like or trend toward insisting on our own way. There's good news in practical psychological help, of course, for any of us who might feel a need to control. Therapy is a good thing, especially when woven together with spiritual counsel and spiritual direction. <clears throat> Counselor uh, Sharon Martin uh, recommends three practices. I want to share those with you. 
First is to challenge the fear. Challenge the fear that underlies the compulsion to control. Name what you are afraid of, what you are afraid will happen if you do not control the circumstances or the people, etc. There's a proven resource that's been used by companies and organizations and individuals, a book called Immunity to Change. All kinds of uh, things, but it, it certainly addresses this issue of control. It's by Robert Keegan, Immunity to Change. As our scripture says, love throws out all kinds of fear, insecurities that compel people to be controlling. Love generates faith. Challenge the fear. Secondly, practice flexibility. That is, be aware of and avoid all or nothing kind of thinking because there may be more than one way to accomplish something. And be flexible by staying focused on problems that are yours to solve rather than on problems that are someone else's to solve and know the difference. And thirdly, practice acceptance. We need to accept that we cannot control others, we can only control ourselves, freeing us from the stress and the responsibility of making sure everyone and everything goes perfectly. There's also good news in being reminded on this topic of practicing acceptance that even God tolerates some variety of Christian practice among followers of the way of Jesus. So writing to the Romans about competing convictions with respect to discerning which foods to eat and which holy days to keep, which can and cannot, should or should not be allowed and forbidden, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 14, hold the faith that you have as your own before God. He literally uses the word faith. It's usually translated, hold the conviction that you have as your own before God. So he's writing to a mixture of Jewish and Gentile Christians and the, the food and special days question, that debate is about a, those centuries old Jewish taboos and laws regarding what to eat and and how to prepare it and under what conditions, etc. And Paul makes the point that each person is answerable to God, not to the person who differs with them on these matters. They are not to lord it over each other. He tells them that God can tolerate the different convictions and so they should do the same rather than trying to control the other by their critical judgment. His point is clear that Christ is the Lord and that each one will be held or is accountable to God. And therefore they can stop try, striving to control each other by means of judgment. He also communicates good news of such freedom engendered in Christ by pointing out that each person should hold convictions with integrity true to their faith true to their faith in God through Jesus, even as they live and worship 
with other persons differently convicted. There's freedom and joy and peace in that. It is before their own Lord, Paul writes, that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. I think we could summarize. Trust God. Fear not. Stop controlling. And give freedom. Live your freedom in Christ by loving one another without insisting on your own way. And know this, love does not insist on its own way. Let's live as if we believed that. Let us pray. Thank you, O oh God, for your grace, for setting us free in Christ to be people who love intensely, who love across differences, and hold to the integrity of our faith at the same time. Thank you. Pour your spirit into our lives. Help us to live this out in the weeks that come, the days ahead, tomorrow on Monday, as Thursday rolls around, whatever we do on Saturday, help us to live like this. In the name and the way of Jesus. Amen. If you're considering your Christian discipleship, you want to deepen it in some way, or you have questions about it, or you've never considered yourself a follower or a Christian disciple, follower of Jesus, um, we're always glad to talk with you, and uh, if you want to, of course, join the church, we welcome you to do that as well. Um, we'll be at the front while we sing this hymn. You can also catch us at the back afterwards or call us, email, etc. We're glad to talk about these things with you. Let's stand to sing our hymn. It's in the faith we sing, 2223. They'll know we are Christians by our love.
this is Carol Barnes. Carol's been with us uh, for a while, and she actually is our front desk receptionist doing a wonderful job of uh, helping us serve the, the community and carry out our mission. And um, she belongs to Jenny and Michael Roberts and their families. Uh, she's Jenny's mother, and we're just delighted that you're here and that uh, you're joining with us today. So she's moving from Centenary United Methodist Church in Lawton. And just this one question, as a member of this congregation, will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? If so, say, I will. We welcome you in Christian fellowship. We are so glad you're among us. Um, we have a statement in the bulletin that I don't have in front of me. Scott Meyer, thank you. Would you read this with me, people? We welcome you to McFarland Memorial United Methodist Church, and with you we renew our vows to uphold the church with our prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And now as you go, may the God of all hope fill you with such joy and peace in believing that hope may abound in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>